Hey everyone, it's Keegan-Michael Key here, and this is Historically Black, a podcast from APM Reports and The Washington Post. So here's what's up. On September 24th, the Smithsonian Institution officially opened a museum that folks have been working on for years to create, the National Museum of African American History and Culture on the Mall in Washington, D.C. As part of its reporting on the opening of the museum, the Washington Post invited people across the country to submit photos of their own historical objects, the things that tell their story of black history, the lesser known moments in history, and personal moments that reflect on the larger story of being black in America. It's sort of like a pop-up digital museum of the people. Historically Black got a ton of responses, and each week, this podcast will feature one object and the story behind it. Uh, My name is Camille Washington, and the object that I chose to submit to Historically Black was a photo of the Million Man March, um, which my dad attended himself in 1995 and which has hung in his den ever since I can remember. Camille Washington is 26 years old and a program manager for international affairs at Harvard University. Camille was in kindergarten when her father, B.T. Washington, decided to fly from their home in Memphis to attend the Million Man March in Washington, D.C. I don't remember my dad going to the march, but I do remember the care with which he had the poster framed and had it hung in this place of prominence in his den, which you have to imagine my dad's den. It's like, you know, full 70s, like wood paneling, and it's his room. It has his fish tanks. He has this, you know, rocking chair that he sits in every night and polishes his shoes. It's just part of who my dad is somehow. And anytime I was ever, you know, called to be disciplined for something or my dad just wanted to talk to me or any, you know, when I came home from school, my dad was always sitting in that den and that photo was always, always there. BT decided to attend the Million Man March when his life was in limbo. He had just retired from 30 years in the Air Force, where he worked in communications and managed highly classified projects. What was he going to do next? And how was he going to support his family? BT figured going to the march might give him some perspective and a chance to spend time with Charles, his younger brother who lived in D.C. Camille was too young to know any of this about her father at the time, but gazing at that poster over the years she came to understand that the Million Man March had changed his life. Good evening from Washington, where the heart of the Capitol has been filled today with African-American men, a huge... October 16th, 1995. Young and old, from all corners of the country, here to participate in ceremonies of celebration, atonement, protest. Minister Louis Farrakhan and some other activists called for the march. Farrakhan was the charismatic and controversial leader of the Nation of Islam an African-American religious movement that's all about personal responsibility, economic self-sufficiency, and what some might call an unorthodox interpretation of Islam. Farrakhan asked a million African-American men to come rally in Washington. But it's a day that we're calling on black men to stand up and take the, the responsibility of freedom, the responsibility of their wives and their children, and the responsibility of building our communities. In the mid-90s, poor black communities were in crisis, torn up by violence and a crack epidemic. 
a growing number of black men were getting locked up in jail. Near Orlando, Florida last night, authorities rushed a 30-year-old shooting victim to the hospital. Today, they're making arrests for his murder. Black leaders are calling such violence America's number one civil rights problem. Peniel Joseph is a historian at the University of Texas, Austin, and the founder of the Center for Race and Democracy there. He was at the Million Man March. Now, Joseph says Farrakhan wanted to speak directly to black men about saving their families, their communities, and themselves. It was a call for what Farrakhan called atonement for black men to take uh, responsibility of cleaning up um, distressed African-American neighborhoods, taking care of their children, being better husbands, fathers, sons. Uh, So it was really a call for renewal uh, within the black community. Every time we drive by shoot, every time we carjack, every time we use foul, filthy language, every time we do things like this, we are feeding the degenerate mind of white supremacy. And I want us to stop feeding that mind and let that mind die a natural death. When Farrakhan put out the call for the Million Man March, Peniel Joseph says the reaction to it in the black communities was not quite the same as in the white communities. So the buzz in the black community was overwhelmingly positive with the huge exception of black feminists who were scholars and activists who in a very pointed way said that they were angry that the march didn't include black women. Joseph says these feminists were angry about the anti-gay language of the Nation of Islam and their conservative views on women. But for, for the large parts of the black community who are in the barbershops and the beauty shops, they loved it. You know, black women were saying that he's, he's right. Black men do need to fulfill their responsibilities. And black women were not saying this in some kind of anti-feminist way. They were saying it in a way of wanting help and partners because they were disproportionately heading single family households. As for white people... Well, they didn't know what to make of it. I mean, there were fears of violence, just like there were fears of violence at the March on Washington. White people were not invited. You know, it was for black men. You know, it wasn't about white people. So when it's not about white people, white people tend to get upset. President Bill Clinton was out of the office on the day of the march. He gave a speech on race relations at the University of Texas. When the day of the Million Man March dawned, black men began arriving in D.C. by the busloads. B.T. Washington could see this, I mean, as soon as he stepped into the D.C. subway system, uh, commonly known as the Metro. It was the weirdest thing. Here's B.T. describing it to his daughter, Camille. We recorded them talking about the march in a phone call. You know, I spent a lot of time in D.C., you know, because I, I used to go in there frequently to the Pentagon. But this was a unique experience because all of the subways were just full of black men. I guess it was a spirit of jubilation. I mean, everybody was just happy, you know. Everybody was speaking with each other, talking to each other, you know, about where they were from. And i just never seen so many black men that weren't fighting <laughs> or arguing or anything. I mean, everybody was making eye contact, you know. I mean, it was really, um, it was really something. B.T. and his brother Charles got to the march early and found a choice spot under a tree on the mall. A variety of people spoke, Jesse Jackson and Rosa Parks, Malcolm X's widow, Betty Shabazz, and finally, Minister Farrakhan. Once again, 
VT was struck by the range of people in the crowd. Lawyers, gang members, there were doctors and high school students. Also, some black women. One in particular stood out. I still remember to this day that someone asked her, how does it feel to be surrounded by so many black men? And her, her statement back was, protected. I mean, that just spoke volumes to me about what we were about at that time. Dad, can you talk a little bit more about the, the program of events at the march itself and the, the speeches that stuck out to you? There was a young man there, and he gave a really dynamic speech. For our ability to survive the onslaught of the enemy's drugs, guns, and alcohol, his prisons and his killing fields depends directly on whether you are willing to stand up and resist the outrages that are being heaped upon us as a people and build a new society. Uh, again, it was all about brotherhood. It was about not doing certain things to people, you know, especially your own people, you know. I remember that Farrakhan had an extremely long speech. But the real evil in America is not white flesh or black flesh. The real evil in America is the idea that undergirds the setup of the Western world. And that idea is called white supremacy. It went on for hours and hours and hours. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was like four soon. hours long or something like that, right? Yeah, it was hours and hours and hours. And you have to remember, we were all standing up or sitting down mm. on the ground. You know, so. <laughs> there were folks up in trees, up on lampposts and all this, you know. So, well, uh, I know you weren't doing that. No, no, I was not doing that. <laughs> For the record, Farrakhan's speech was two hours, 10 minutes, and 58 seconds long. One part of that speech has stayed with BT ever since. It was a pledge that Farrakhan had all the men at the Million Man March take in unison. Take this pledge with me. Say with me, please. I. Say your name. Pledge that from this day forward, I will strive to BT got a copy of the pledge and made a few changes to it. Dad, I'm so curious about what you changed. <laughs> <laughs> what were the things that you didn't like? Well, the thing I changed was at the end of it, they said, so help me God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> BT Washington is an atheist. Do you have the copy with you, Dad? I do. Oh, I do. would you mind reading it? Sure. Okay, so I, Booker Taylor, Washington Jr., pledged that from this day forward, I would uh, strive to love my brother as I love myself. I, from this day forward, would strive to improve myself spiritually, morally, uh, mentally, socially, politically, and economically for the benefit of my family and my people. 
It takes several minutes for BT to read the full pledge. I pledge that I will not use the N-word to describe any of my black brethren. I added that myself. I pledge Mr. Oh, and here's the part where BT does not refer to God. I would do all of this. I pledge. You know, Dad, it's funny for me to hear you read the pledge because I had some awareness of the pledge and I know that you have mentioned it to me before and I'm sure that I've seen copies of it laying around but I don't think I really understood how deeply that had set with you. Mm -hmm. The, The biggest impact I think was recognizing that even outside of the military, there were a heck of a lot of very successful black folks and very articulate black folks. I was not aware of that, quite frankly, because I had, I had been brainwashed, really, you know. Brainwashed, BT says, by the racism of Jim Crow segregation, by the message that black people just didn't have the same kind of smarts and drive that white people did. BT got out of Memphis, Tennessee as soon as he could, spending his next 30 years in the Air Force, mainly overseas. He retired from the military as a chief master sergeant. I thought that the only black folks who were really intelligent and able to do stuff was folks in the military. I knew it was ridiculous when you think about it, you know, but uh, that was what what I thought. The Million Man March helped B.T. change his thinking. He became more aware of inequality in America, and he took a job with the U.S. Treasury Department. So for 14 years, he investigated discrimination claims by employees. B.T. could have taken a better-paying job, but he felt he could do the most good by helping others get a fair shake in the workplace. He retired from that work in 2009. Camille Washington says that since she sent in the photo of the Million Man March to our historically black project, She and her dad have had some deeper conversations about the march and about race relations today. Do you see the Black Lives Matter movement as being connected to the Million Man March? You see that as like a further evolution? I see it as an evolution of the civil rights movement. Hmm. Uh, I think if you want to really put a label on it, it's 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 a continuation of the civil rights movement, you know. It's a continuation of making folks see that we're human beings, you know. And Peniel Joseph, the historian at UT Austin we heard from earlier, he says it might be hard to measure, but the Million Man March made a difference in American society, and especially to African-American men. And Joseph draws a straight line from the Million Man March to the Black Lives Matter movement. I think one of the most important things about the Million Man March was that it was really an effort to um, humanize black men. I mean, Farrakhan was basically saying that black lives do matter and, you know, that black men and black boys and black teenagers, um, he was trying to build esteem and self-esteem. It was an effort to, you know, to humanize um, black, black men and boys and to empower them. So let's close where we started with Camille Washington talking about why her father's den in Memphis, Tennessee, matters. Because his den was the heart of the house, all my memories of Black culture and my experience of Black culture took place in that 
in that den. So watching Venus and Serena um, come to prominence, that happened in my dad's den. The first time I read Alex Haley's Roots, which my dad is a big fan of, I read that swaddled up in a blanket underneath that underneath that poster under those million men this is a powerful thing powerful thing that's it for this week you've been listening to historically black a podcast collaboration of apm reports and the washington post it was produced by kate ellis and stephen smith and edited by Mary Beth Kirshner. We had production help from Kai Thomas. The Post staff includes Julia Carpenter, Veronica Tony, and Jessica Stahl. Our theme music is by X144. Hey now, to see more stories and even contribute your own to this digital pop-up museum of objects from African American history, visit Historically Black at WashingtonPost.com slash Historically Black. You can upload a photo of your object and details about what it means to you. It's easy to do. Just visit historicallyblack.tumblr.com. We'll be back next week. I'm Keegan-Michael Key.